You're listening to Business Lunch with Roland Frazier. This is your seat at the table. Welcome to the show. This is the producer, Darren Clark, and I have a great episode for you today. One that I've pulled out of the archives, so to speak, because it's just so good. Roland is talking today with his dear friend, Kamal Ravikant. He's the author of the best-selling books, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It and Live Your Truth. He's been a US Army infantry soldier. He's held the hands of dying patients. He's been the can-do guy in Silicon Valley and spoken to audiences worldwide. But in this conversation, Roland and Kamal dig deep into his success and experience in venture capital, investing, and more. You will especially like it if you want to know what to do when you don't know people and you can't get in on the insider networks. Sounds good, right? Well, I'll get out of the way in a minute. But first, if you want to go deeper and learn more from Roland, you can go to businesslunchpodcast.com forward slash EPIC. EPIC stands for Ethical Profits in Times of Crisis. That's the name of the five-day challenge that has absolutely blown up for Roland in the last year. So if you're enjoying his podcast, then you will love this training. So go to businesslunchpodcast.com forward slash EPIC. Okay, it's time. Here's Roland. It's Roland Frazier with Business Lunch, and I'm really, really happy to be here with one of my dearest friends and uh, probably the best human being that I know, uh, Kamal Ravikant. Uh, Kamal, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Roland. I hope to live <laughs> up to that. I'm uh, I'm really glad that we get this chance to talk. Um, and what I what I really like to do is start out by sharing an origin story or the origin story of where the Kamal of today comes from the cabal of yesterday. So should we start in India and move from there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, one fine summer day in India. Yes, I was, yes. Man, I was, I was born a poor wailing. Indian child. Yeah. And yes, yeah. No, I was born in India and we came here uh, when I was a little kid. Uh, one younger brother and my single mom. My mom raised my brother and I in, uh, in Jamaica, Queens, outside of New York City, mm-hmm. you know, where the rappers came from when it really was bad, yeah. you know, and... So my, you know, both my brother and I escaped and eventually our mom, we pulled our mom out too. And it was a kind of place you either escaped or you just like died there. Yeah. And I went to college for a year and I was bored out of my mind. And so I joined the army and I was an infantry soldier in the 10th Mountain Division. In uh, the United States Army? U.S. Army. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, you know, I was an immigrant child and I wanted to serve my country. I really felt like a strong um, need to give. And I felt that as an 18 year old, that is the most I had to offer and the right. best I could offer right. was join the military huh. and uh, so did that and then, then I went to college after and for a year uh huh but for a year no after the army oh okay I went so to you, college so you, okay so you went to college for a year before the army and then okay yeah right. I had a like, full ride and I just I was like this is too boring I'm gonna right. go do something more interesting nice what did you start college wise was it like what were your what did you think it was going to be when I you started? I think you were going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a lawyer. I'm so <laughs> happy for you that you avoided that thing. I did not get so lucky. Yeah. Okay. No. So, so you you were like, I can either be a lawyer or I can put my life at risk out having people shoot at me, and you wisely chose the, the far, shoot the far at better me option choice, yeah. instead of the. I like yeah. that. Okay, so you did the army thing. The army and, thing. Um, and and then came back and decided to go into college. Mm-hmm. And what was your what were you going to be when you grew up at that time? At that time, uh, I was still doing the law thing. Actually, okay. I had a degree in economics. And then senior year, I went to uh, this thing of law, all these law schools in one one room, yep. and talking to all these people. Yep. And after talking about half hour, I came out and I was like, I don't want to be one of them. <laughs> it was literally senior. Year, I was like. What now? <laughs> and I actually ended up doing uh, getting a second degree in biology, and I was going to go to med school. Oh, uh, you know, Doctor Law, you're very respectable. Yeah, the Your mom was happy, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. you know, but um, I ended up uh, backpacking around you know, around and doing these things, and then Silicon Valley was happening. And where did you backpack? Ooh, Asia, Europe. You know, I did like it's eight a multiple countries, multiple continents. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, for how long? For eight months huh. on two thousand or three thousand dollars, I think I was living in. Like literally, I was sleeping in fields in Spain and ruined castles, and you know, just drinking wine from strangers, and you know, made a lot of friends. Favorite short story from that adventurous <laughs> part of your life that turned to a novel called Rebirth. Actually, is that when you did that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was. Uh, so you are a writer uh, mm-hmm. and a really good one, and have have really worked on your craft, which has been fun to watch. Thank you as well. So Rebirth, which originally was 
conceived to potentially be Into Thin Air. Correct. Right? Great which, memory. Which I love that title. And um, and then got changed as, as things sometimes do. But so that I didn't know that that was when that was that yeah. that was when you did that. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay, so I want to come back to that because that story goes with rebirth. But so you had this adventure on the Camino. De, yeah, so is it Camino de Capistrano? Is that what? Yeah, the Camino de Santiago. Santiago, okay. That's but at the, 11... the city is Compostela or somewhere around yeah, there, Yeah, right? okay. it's a 550-mile-long pilgrimage that ends at a city called Santiago de Compostela. Okay. Okay. And, uh, Are you North... aware that you can just fly over that in like almost you no know, time some, at all? I wish someone told me that. <laughs> <laughs> I was young. You took a, uh, four months, was it? <laughs> no, well, that walk took me about 35 days. It's 35 days. 550 miles. Okay, would have taken me four months. So that's nah, there's a lot of good wine drank. You know, I was basically, so I had no money. And so I would just basically eat in the evenings when I get into a village to go to sl- or try to sleep. Right. And then I think on Menu Little Dia, where you get your appetizer, your main course, and a and dessert uh-huh. uh, for like, I don't know, five bucks. Uh-huh. And you had a choice between a bottle of wine and a bottle of water. Guess what I chose? I'm going to guess it was the wine because that's was, the smart thing to choose. Absolutely. I love it. I was drunk every night. You know, that was like, <laughs> that was my pilgrimage. I love it. I love it. And you got a lot out of it and wrote about it in the yeah. book called Rebirth, which is which is a great book. Uh, if anybody is listening, who's listening would like to read that. So you did the the pilgrimage, the backpacking, and then went to college after that, right? Uh, the pilgrimage and uh, backpacking was, to get the was yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I went to college, then the pilgrimage, backpacking, okay. and then I went off to, um, and I came back from that knowing that look, I don't think I want to go to med school. I like, I loved traveling. I have so many different interests. In fact, I had too many interests. Mm-hmm. And that time, the dot com boom was happening. It was mm-hmm. the late '90s, mm-hmm. and I got a call from my brother and he said hey get the new york times this weekend this sunday i said why he's like just get it so i got the new york times on sunday i'm reading it and i'm going to new york times magazine there's a two-page write-up on my little brother Hmm. on a company that started called opinions and you know this was like the very beginning of the dot-com right right what was the year roughly uh somewhere in the mid late 90s somewhere between 90s really really yeah, yeah 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 and i call him up and i'm like dude this is great congratulations and at that time i was working in uh, emergency departments, uh, trauma centers. And he said, yeah. Was what that you... Bellevue? That was actually in Rochester, New York. Rochester, okay. And he said, yeah, what are you doing watching people die every day? Come out here, we're creating and the you future. And you were in like the hardcore, yeah. like yeah. You, you literally did watch people die every yeah. single day in your job. The, yeah, the... I was getting this, uh, I was trying to get the research experience to go to med school. And, and I thought about it. And he's like, yeah, just come out here, we're creating the future. We're doing what no one's done before. And you, this kind of opportunities never come. I thought about it, and I was talking to a friend of mine, Larry Rappaport, and the goals, basement of Goals Gym, and I started to decide. And he's like, Kamal, leap, and the net will appear. I was like, I like that. So I bought a one-way ticket, sold everything I had, which wasn't much, and had like, I think I had 800 bucks, and moved out to Silicon Valley. Nice. And I just started applying for stuff. And at that time... So your brother was, was not come work with me. It was, nah, nah. dude, this is the opportunity. Come to this place and you will find something yeah. that fits you. Okay. Yeah, and actually that was very wise, you yeah. know, like, because, and, you know, because that, that I had to go set off my own path. Yeah. And so I was applying and I was like learning and turns out that time no one knew what they were doing. It was like the I very was beginning. Say, so you had, uh, what was your degree in? Economics and Economics biology. and biology, which obviously means you can program and do internet stuff, right? Yeah, bingo. Right. right. So you had no, <laughs> no experience with that. You go out and you're just applying and saying, and you're applying for uh, online company type yep, jobs. all or startups. Programming I was going for all jobs. startups. So okay. I'm like, whatever it takes, I'll right. do. Right. And all of a sudden, I, uh, for some reason, there were a bunch of health startups starting and I had this healthcare experience. Mm-hmm. And ah. And so, like, all of a sudden, they're like, we need someone to, like, run these things, who actually has experience, but was not a doctor, was kind of, like, more, like, a go-getter, you know? And so, and I've joined this company called Healthion, mm-hmm. and Healthion uh, became WebMD and went public. So, I started off as a product manager. So, I built, I led teams of, like, 50, 60 people. You know, what would you would need now, like, maybe one or two people now with AWS <laughs> so and all so much easier, that. yes. Insane, yes, yes. right? Um, but I built products that were used at that time by millions of people. And that mm. time you were going on 24K modems, right? And uh, it was something and going public and worth being worth a lot of money, then mm-hmm. the crashing and being where, you know, worth your not IRS. as much money. Actually, I, I think I broke even with the IRS. Yeah. That, right. <laughs> okay. Uh, but by the time I left, I, I was running monetization for WebMD, mm-hmm. which is a big public company. Mm-hmm. And I got known as a can do kid because mm. it was like, 
oh, this is happening. We don't know what to do. Pull in the can-do yeah, kit. I got we'll it. Figure it out. I got right? you, yeah. And I think that's where the military, that's where the backpacking and all that came in, into play because I wasn't intimidated by new things. But everyone else like came from like, they were hiring people from consulting and they, like pharma and corporate. And they, they do not do well with just like, you know, like brand new frontiers. And they're like, we don't know how to monetize. Throw Kamal at it. He'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. He'll just try different things. Mm-hmm. And so that was a great education. That was my MBA. So I'm very grateful for that. And then after that, I just stuck with it. I started consulting. Actually, the market crashed. And while everyone was crying and people moving on the Bay Area, I kind of looked at the rent I was paying and I thought, you know, I could go live in Paris for about the same amount. I'll just come back when <laughs> when things are better. Not so I did. A bad plan. You went to Paris. So you lived in Paris? Yeah. I didn't actually know you lived in Paris. I got an apartment in Paris, and every day I would go out, get my baguette, and Fantastic. get my saucy song. I can see you with a little red beret and the whole, <laughs> you know. Got drunk at every, like, barstool Hemingway drank at, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that um, the one in the Ritz? Is that the, the Hemingway bar now? I've probably I've been to all of them. I don't mm-hmm. remember which one. <laughs> been I was to all of them. I don't remember a lot was, of them. There was a lot of champagne. I would go there. I was like, so now I finally had money because I'd been through Paris when I'd done the backpacking trip uh-huh. before. I literally I was living on three dollars a day in Paris. Right now I had some money in my, my pocket. Money. I was like, let me just enjoy this. And okay. you know, like it, you don't need money to travel, but it's always nicer. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it is. I I have traveled both ways, and I will say, right? indeed, yes. People treat you better. They do. They do. It's Funny. a different experience. Although that 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 kind of not having anything is an interesting thing to look back on and say, yeah. you know, as long as you remember that that maybe wasn't necessarily the best time of your life, right? Yeah. Um, so you did that, and then um, is that is that when you kind of went back and got into the domaining, or was no, that... No, no, no. Uh, domaining, that was later on. So okay. all, all I did was I worked with startups. I would come in. I would basically be the guy, and I'd become like Fortune 100s and like work with the CEOs and the VPs, and I would take over their teams and get stuff done and go out. I really enjoyed being like a gun for hire. Yeah. Because I wouldn't get bored this way. Right. So I did that for years. Okay. And, you know, got to be part of some pretty spectacular stuff. And right. uh, literally, like, you know, they would have like big companies like Ogilvy come in and they would, you know, charge like $30 million a project. They'd be six months behind schedule. They'd fly me in. I hire fire people, pull a bunch of all-nighters. Two weeks later, we ship product. Can't do kids strikes it. again. Finga, nice. right? Yeah. And really, I'm that training, that I, that's all military. That's all travel. You know, you don't, you don't learn that in school. Yeah. You know? Um, and then I was building, you know, helping build companies. And then I ended up like uh, building an ad network based on domain traffic. I was never a domainer. Mm-hmm. But I saw that Google and Yahoo, the reason why all those parking pages existed was, you know, because Google and Yahoo monetized them. Yes, absolutely. It made them a couple of billion a year. Right. And I had meetings with the senior teams because I'm in the Valley. So I know people, I yep. know all the players there. Yeah. And it was the, like the redheaded stepchild of Google. They never talked about it. Mm. They would actually give... Ask.com, uh, their search feed, and Ask.com would power so Google could keep their hands off mm-hmm. and be clean, right. quote unquote. Right. You know, Google is the least Doing clean company. No evil. Yeah, they yeah, do yeah. no evil. Come on, they're don't you beautifully know evil. <laughs> they make you think they're not evil. That's why they're beautifully evil. Right, right. And so I looked at this industry. I thought, this is garbage. There's ways to actually make it better. And one thing I've learned is you don't transform things by just trying to convince people, you, especially if there's money involved. You just make them more money in a better way. Right. Right, that's yeah. how you transform industries. Yeah. You, yeah, know, you yeah. create things more efficiently. Like right. look at Uber, right. for example. Yeah. Right, you don't try to change a taxi industry. Yeah. you know, which is all mafia run. Mm-hmm. You know, this monopoly. Mm-hmm. You just create a better, more efficient uh, alternative. Yes, and so that's what I set out to do with the domain industry. Mm-hmm. And I actually pulled it off. I was taking money from Google and Yahoo, uh, which no one had done mm-hmm. in this space, mm-hmm. and I got whacked pretty badly. And we, um, what what happened? What caused that? Was that just the um, one was with choosing partners? Okay. Uh, so I started off, I'm very mission-driven. Mm-hmm. I started off, I built a whole, I built one of the best tech teams in Silicon Valley. I got known for that. And it was always by mission. We were going to change this dirty industry and we were actually going to like make a lot of money doing it in the process. And the partners that I brought on later on, a lot of whose traffic we were actually selling, they got very seduced by the money. And so we used to spend a lot of time together, travel with them, and I started getting seduced by the money. So instead of motivating my team by and everybody what we're doing, the mission, I was I started motivating by money. And when you do that, you choose partners based on money. And when you do that, those are not the right people yeah. because when things go sideways, they're the first ones to actually like just cause problems. I agree. And all of that came to an head and the whole thing blew up and collapsed. And I had actually self-funded this myself with the money I'd made over the last decade right. for three years. 
and I lost everything. Yeah. I was li- literally, I was making pair off credit cards. I, I fell apart. My life fell apart. My health fell apart, you know, basically. Yeah. yeah. So I fell, in a nutshell, I fell apart. Right. And, you know, like people ask me, oh, were you depressed? I'm like, De- being depressed would have been a good day. You know, like, <laughs> would have been, been like, oh, I'm doing right. great. Um, you know, like, and so from there, actually, I think my life changed. Okay. In what uh, way? Uh, in the way that I actually just started working on myself, on my inside. I was stuck in my head. And um, I just decided I'm going to get out of this or die trying. I can't live like this. I can't live in this mis- this internal misery anymore. And so I got up one night and I wrote a vow to myself that I was going to change everything. And I don't know why the vow that I actually wrote was a vow to love myself. Okay. I don't know where that came from, but it was like a from a deep visceral place. And I sat down and I looked at this vow and I thought... Okay, I just wrote this vow, and I'm a big believer in the power of commitment. Like, and especially a vow to oneself, I think, is a truly sacred act in life. Like, you're in. You're, there's no, I'm going to go back. So, here I am, sick, broke, miserable, uh, alone, you know, in my dark apartment. Literally, it was night, dark apartment. How am I going to do this? I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And so, I just started trying things. Using my clinical trial experience, mm-hmm. funny enough, I started doing things in my head. And what worked, what made me feel better, I did more. If it didn't work at that some point, I threw it out. I just like kept doing it until like my whole state of mind started to shift. Right. And what was interesting was, and you and I have had conversations about this, it's like life is from the inside out. When you shift on the inside, life shifts on the outside. Yes. And things really turned around. Uh, within a month, I was great and, and life was working. My company still shut down. Right. Um, that was beyond it. And in fact, I was burnt out. I was right. done uh, Probably the best thing that could have yeah. happened in retrospect, right? Yeah, because I, mean, I was I was six months away from selling from a big exit. Mm-hmm. And looking back, the life I have now is far more fulfilling than I would have with a big exit. And and I'll, I'm having wonderful exits now, and yeah. but it's in a more fulfilling way. And you wrote about all this in the book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends Upon It, right? Yes. And uh, I wrote this little book. I self-published on Amazon. And I thought it was going to be the biggest laughing stock of Silicon Valley. And within a month, it was the number one self-help book on Amazon. It's still one of Amazon's big success stories. Mm. It's like, you know, I get emails every day from people. It's either save their lives, change their lives. It blew my mind. It completely blew my mind. You you share your real self to the world. You like in a way that you're really afraid of, but you know that you need to share this Vulnerable, nugget. Vulnerable, authentic, all of those things. Well, so, you know, so rare, you, right? Well, it's whatever your nugget, your thing is, your truth is. Mm. If you share that. Right, mm-hmm. I think the world gives you way more than you ever gave it. You know that that book, putting that book, I changed my life. Uh, it really let me just be myself rather than try to be this guy who was always killing in a startup or be the the can-do kid always parachuting in, taking over. Just be myself. Right. You know, like and and so so that was my first book, and after that I decided, you know, well, this actually was thanks to my brother. We were actually visiting our mom. And I said, I don't want to start in a company, another company anymore. I'm worn out. And, to, and also, to build a company, you have to care about something deeply, a problem you want to solve. At least in Silicon Valley, the way we work. Yep. And, and there was no problem I wanted to solve that badly anymore. And he's like, well, you know, you're always helping your friends um, get into great deals. And you're always helping like all these great startups, you know, like everywhere from YouTube, whatever, when they're first starting, you're helping these people out. And everyone does really well. And you just get to be the guy that helps, but you don't ever ask for anything. Right. He's like, you're basically a VC without the carry. He's like, why don't you formalize it? So when I thought about it, I realized there is some. There was a problem I wanted to solve, and which was that whenever you have a VC investor, they're always, if they're trying to get in, I was like, oh, we're value add. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, 99.9% of the time, not true. You know, they give you advice, which is meh, you know. And I thought, you know, what is the real thing I need? I need, if I was a CEO... I would want investors to say, hey, you want a thousand customers tomorrow? I'll get those for you. Right. You know, you need this, I'll get that for you. Right. So I actually, and this is very actually you, you were very, you, Ryan, and, and Perry were very helpful. You guys helped me raise my first fund. Yes, that was you know? super fun. Yeah. So you decided to start a fund. I decided to start a fund. How how did how did that work? Like that's like I you I know you had a background in the the valley kind of stuff, um, but you had never done that before, right? Yep. Yep. So it's kind of a it's kind of a big step, right? You're gonna take money and put people in deals and stuff like that. Tell 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 me 
What, well, what were you, well, made that happen? And, well, and, there's two ways you can do it, right? One is you can join an existing fund, right. which is easy. It's like joining a company, right? And I have the network where I could do that. Or the second is more painful, but you you chart your own destinies where you create your own. Mm-hmm. And so having built stuff on my own all this time, that was just That's right. the You're natural. A builder, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a builder. Right. And so basically, but fundamentally, people get very intimidated by a VC fund. Is they're fundamentally very, very simple. Mm-hmm. Like people like you give me money. Then I keep it in a pool, and then when I come across a great startup that is raising money, and I, I usually invest in the seed round, which is the very first money. In. Okay. So, for example, the seed round in Uber, friends of mine invested there. You know, the founder is a friend of mine. Twenty-five uh, k in Uber would worth be about six, sixty million now. Right. So seed rounds. Can I give you twenty-five thousand now to invest in Uber, and you course. give me sixty million of back? Of course. Okay. <laughs> That's Fantastic. how it works. Good. Good. You heard it here. He said he'd do it. <laughs> I'm, when we had that time machine built, yes, we're gonna definitely yes. do that. So, so we had. Um, so I had. It was fun because when you were doing that, we were we were chatting and um, and we had an opportunity to kind of help and be a part of that, which was which was really fun and have had some good things that came out of it, right? Yeah, some, yeah. some pretty cool things that we invested in. Um, one of the things that I love hearing you do on the phone that directly applies to your ability to have a successful fund, I think is your skill in vetting companies, like the questions that you ask when you're drilling down in a new company that you're talking to are just awesome. And you gave you, you gave me one tip that I thought was really, really cool that I've always remembered and I share with people all the time, which is you said, you know, I always like to see the company. I always like to talk in person to the people that are, are owning the company before I make an investment. And I go through the offices, and if there's a whole bunch of brand new Mac computers with all the latest stuff around, I'm like, these people might not be the best investment (laughs) because they're spending money on, they've got the cool office and there's a football field in the middle and a dream wall and a bunch of graffiti and, and these brand new computers that everybody has and you like a, a scrappier startup, right? Very much, very okay. much. Tell, tell us about that. What are some well, of the things? Well, here's here's the thing. You know, like one of the problems is people think that raising money equals success. Raising money does not equal success. That's just a starting line. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people do is if you give them a lot of money, if you give some young kids a, like $30 million, their instinct is to spend it. And by spending it, they feel like they're building something. Mm-hmm. And I've mm-hmm. seen this happen again and again. It's kind of like the people in a, in a really small business that feel like they need to do the logo first and then yeah, buy a URL yeah, and all that. All the stuff that doesn't actually make money. Yeah. In fact, you know, one of my favorite investments for the fund actually had to mark it down to zero recently, and it was a very good one. Mm-hmm. And a Kleiner came in and John Doerr, you know, joined yeah. the board. It was huge, you know. But then I noticed the founder stopped responding to my emails and, you know, like they were just like too busy just being on, you know, talking about themselves. Right. And then one day I was in New York City and on the subway, I saw ads for that company and I couldn't figure out what the company did by looking at the ads. I went home and my spreadsheet wrote off to zero. Interesting. And it did become zero. Did it really? I've learned this again and again. Like when people raise too much money, they think spending equals success. It's really interesting. So uh, uh, I see that particularly in the Valley culture that the very first thing is we need to go and raise a bunch of money. Yes. Before maybe they test an idea, certainly before they get profitable. And I think some of that is has to do with the fact that it takes a bit of money to build a platform. Like if you're doing a software or an app or something like that, it can cost quite a bit to develop at the beginning, right? Or like not even that. These are stupid cheap. If you're building like an Uber, for example, uh-huh. you know, you have to like basically subsidize it. You can't compete against the car companies if you're just basically you're running as a PL business. Right. Like basically Uber until last year was completely our rides were subsidized by VC money. Mm-hmm. That's why they were cheap. Right. Cheaper than taxes. Right. If you notice now, because Uber's gonna probably IPO next year, the prices have gone up. Right. I the, that. the the VC subsidies subsidies are gone. Right. So companies like that are a Facebook. You can't build a company like Facebook to what it became, trying to do a PL business, doing advertising from day one. You build a platform, you get the users, you just focus on making it so sticky, everyone's on it, and then you can monetize the hell out of it. But Facebook was scrappy when it started, yes. right? It, yeah. it started as, uh, what was what was it originally? I know it was the Facebook. The Facebook, yeah. But I thought it was one thing before that, but it was kind of almost like a hot or not, like you swiped or something like that, right, for... for 
when it first came about, and then it evolved, but it had already caught fire in terms of a virality. What, what are the, is it the viral coefficient of how mm-hmm. many people are in the network effect and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff? So um, that kind of business, even for you, would you invest in that if you didn't see it catching fire? Like, w- would you, somebody comes and says, come on, I got this great idea. And then insert idea here. Do you invest in that? or no. okay. I invest in people. Okay. You invest in I, people? I don't invest in ideas. Okay. Uh, ideas are dime a dozen. So I'll give you an example. Uh, the f- one of the best exits I've had for my fund so far is a cryptocurrency project called Zcash. Mm-hmm. And I met the founder. Uh, my brother introduced me to him. My brother was an investor. And I talked to him, and I could understand one out of ten words that came out of his mouth. He was basically <laughs> in, in, the, in this world of cryptocurrency where you just have all these people who can't code their way out of a paper bag trying to build really complicated projects. Mm-hmm. He was one of the ones who actually could. And it was mm-hmm. going to solve a very, very hard problem mm-hmm. cryptographically. Mm-hmm. And this was someone who had actually before been living in his car trying to do it. Yeah. Like he was born to, I actually told him, you were born to build this, weren't you? He's mm-hmm. like, yeah. I'm like, you, I think I have a 1% chance of this succeeding, but I want to back you. Okay. And I backed him. Okay. And it turned out great. And in okay. fact, if you talk to a lot of smart investors, you back people because ideas, you know, as you know, like when boxing, when you get hit in the face, you right. know, like things change. So as an entrepreneur, it's not a, it's not a vertical line. You know, right. it's nothing but a mess. It's like sideways all the way. So you need people that can actually pivot and change and keep things growing and really are vision driven. Okay. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from Mike Maples. He is a hidden, one of the hidden successes of Silicon Valley. He's the best, I think probably the most successful angel of Silicon Valley. He was in all the big ones. And really good Texan guy. Mm-hmm. Actually, a really good guy. And he said, you know, the best companies are always led by the founders mm. for the long haul. Mm. He's like, look at Google. Look at Facebook. Look mm-hmm. at Amazon. He's like, you want to you wanna go for those kind of founders. Okay. Like, those are the ones that are going to build the massive big things. And in venture... You know, most of your investments fail. Right. But so what you do is you go for. You always. What is go, the percentage? Like, what's what's reasonable for you to expect? Like, you're like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. I think 70 percent because fail. your returns, yeah, right, because your returns are so massive when the ones that succeed, exactly, no one cares, right, right. It's the return on capital mm-hmm. that you care about. Now, but that's why you go for these big ones. That's why, like, if I think something's going to be a five x, and uh, when I first started, I was very tempted to, but I talked to like uh, VCs. They're like, no, if 5X is the upside and the downside is zero, you don't do it. Mm. And VCs, is, it's binary, zero, one. Mm-hmm. You're either going to have an exit or it's going to go to zero. Right. So, I mean, it has to be something I think is going to be huge. And you, and if you're smart about it and you have, you know, invest with really smart uh, other investors, that's very, very important, And by the way. Yeah. Never try to be the smart one at the table when it comes to investing. <laughs> okay. Never, never, because right. you're not. You know, you're just not. Uh-huh. You know, invest only with the best, smart, bring in people smarter than you, co-invest with them, keep your mouth shut, just add value, mm-hmm. you know, and, and slide your chip in with them. You know, it works really well. How do you do that if you're like, me if you're just like an average person that you're doesn't. not an average person Roland <laughs> well, but, but I don't I don't know all those investors right that you know so if I saw them investing I don't I don't know that I'd be able to get in right does, does that make sense yeah yeah and I know that like AngelList now has these what are they they're the syndicates syndicates right that that allow you to do that a little bit more than you used to even a few years ago correct but um but the people that you're investing with those are generally closed opportunities for Correct. Some, for somebody like me if I didn't know you, right? Correct. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately, in private markets, it, they are opening up, but it's mm-hmm. still a, a big insider network. If you want to get in the seed level, it's later levels that people can get in. But seed level, it's like they got to know you. You got to be known quantity. You got to have mm-hmm. a record. So you got to. I but mean, your, like your fund is a way into that, right? Like correct. a fund like yours. There's correct. not many of those because there's just not many of you. In fact, there's only one of you that I know. <laughs> um, but that that would be yes. Is, is there any other way in other than you either know those folks or you go through a fund or AngelList and you could join the syndicates? Okay, if yeah. if that syndicate is open for that deal, which correct. Mostly, it's not correct. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Or even like I see people like you doing really really smart investments in space outside of Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. which 
you know, the rest of this country was built outside of Silicon Valley. Yes. You know, there's a yes. lot of opportunity Don't there. Don't tell Silicon Valley about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so right. like there's insane amount of opportunity there. So I see like you with your network, like investing in really great stuff, but also stuff that venture funds won't. One thing people don't realize is venture funds don't want cash flow businesses. Right. Because... Because uh, otherwise, that means I got to pay dividends to my LPs to the day I die. Right. I just want an exit and be done and raise my next fund. Right. And and so, but for yourself, you can almost have like little PE funds where mm-hmm. you just like buy companies or like become part of a company. And that's exactly as you know. Right? That's exactly what we do. Right. Yeah. That's exactly. And you add such value and you grow the company and everyone gets cash out, which right. is an amazing model. So that I think is is available to the average person. Yes. Uh, but they have to know people like you. Right. Yeah, and we have a fund for that. That, as you know, we're uh-huh. which I think is which and, I think is really smart. Yeah, I think it's 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 really cool. I I like the combination of what of what you've got and what we've got because what 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 we have and what you have is deal flow, and the a lot of average folks. I mean, a lot of and when I say average, I just mean a lot of people that don't that aren't connected to a big network like we are, like you are. Uh, don't have the opportunity to in- invest on their own because they're just not exposed to the opportunities, right? Well, look, the name of the game in investing is having an unfair advantage. Yes. I will never invest. That's why I don't buy real estate because there's plenty of people who have understand better than I do and I I don't play that game. Right. Uh, versus startups, mm-hmm. I have an unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm part of that world. I understand them. I can cut through the bullshit. Yep. Uh, can I say in this you can. You did. You I just, just did. did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like, like you see them in phone conversations. I yep. can cut to the bullshit. Of someone, someone's That's talking. That's what I like. I'd, I'd really love to. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to be good enough at it, but um, but this vetting of people thing and your ability to kind of cut to the chase. Would you role play with me a, a question? Like, if if I'm one of these startup companies, I'll I'll see if I can come up with enough of a thing to make it worthwhile. And for I'll have you. to pretend you're not the Roland Frazier who's this badass. No, just I'm, I'm just a, I'm a I'm a founder, and uh, and I'm I'm one of the folks that you get referred by some of the folks you know, and you call me up. Or I know from time to time I'll say, you know, Maul, you're the amazing, you're the best vetter of that kind of stuff that I know. Would you mind talking to these people? And you've been kind enough to do that. What what? Uh, Let's let's do that for a minute and see okay. if, if it's helpful to people and if, if it's a terrible failure, well, then you I'll witness say, the failure right here. I'll guys. say one of the things <laughs> is, you know, listen to people and when they use a lot of big words, that's mm-hmm. a sign. That's mm-hmm. a flaw. Um, when they actually talk about like, oh, we're just budgeting all this for X and Y versus just focus on building and distribution, you know, that's a flaw. Okay. If they haven't built it anything before in this space, mm-hmm. that's uh, usually like a, a sign. Okay. Um, also, you look for like who they're surrounding themselves with. Okay. Like who are the people who are helping them. Okay. That actually matters a lot. Okay. Uh, you know, those are kind of like the things I look for. Okay. Uh, and then when they just start throwing things around and saying, I mean, if they're outsourcing their work. Okay. That's a that's a that's a sign. Okay. Because you you bet on builders. Yeah. Builders build. Okay. Outsourcers are will build maybe like maybe small companies. Track but record important to you. Um, yes, but in the startup world, less and less because okay. look, Zuck, Zuckerberg, you uh-huh. have all these like really great projects built recently in cryptocurrencies that did very well. So there, I look at who's backing them. Okay. So like if that's the thing, I where the what are the smartest investors I know. And so, for example, in your case, like in a, with the regular business, mm-hmm. I would look at what's Roland doing and how can I put my chip at Roland? Mm-hmm. I think that's the smartest thing. People try to be smart. Mm-hmm. And like, um, I think the smartest thing you can do is be dumb in investing. Say so like, I'm just coming with the best people and put my chips alongside and learn mm-hmm. and just be of value. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's I it. I like it. But let's role play. Okay. So, um, so here's the deal. I have um, I, I I see you in the crypto world, and I think there's a tremendous opportunity there. I've hooked up with some folks who are going to create a, a coin for a market that seems to be underserved. Um, it's the largest; they have the largest Christian website around. I think there's about 32 million followers right now. We've partnered together, and we're going to launch a coin. Uh, it's going to be a Christian-based coin. We we haven't come up with a name for it yet, but uh, but we've got the programming team that has done a couple of other things like that. And um, I'll, I'll I don't want to say what they are right now because I don't want to tell you the people. This is this is kind of like a quasi yeah. deal, right? And um, so we have a market to do this to. We're in this hot sector of of coins and crypto, and we're raising some money. We need about. Six hundred thousand dollars to get started with our uh, our programming team, so that they can leave some projects they're on and and come forward. What do you think? Actually, doesn't sound so bad so far. 
Okay. I would actually continue on. I would. Okay. So I'd want to know. Like, Can I have six hundred thousand dollars? No. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's. Uh, it's basically. Um, all right. Who's who else is investing? Uh, well, you would be the first one. It's a kind of a ground floor opportunity. You're the first person that I talk I'm to. I'm never about. the first investor. Okay. All right. So that's great, right? So you don't ever want to be the first investor. Never. Okay. Never. Now, for for most people, that might be like, well, but but it's a ground floor opportunity. I get to be the first person. What do you say to them? Uh, that's when 99.99% you'll lose your money. Okay. All right, like so I said, go- don't, be, don't be smart. Like be to be an investor, like you got to actually be like, just, you got to be a little dumb. You say, I'm going to really, it's like, is this a chip I'm going to bet on? Mm-hmm. So what you told me so far, okay, who's your competition? Uh, there's Bitcoin, there's Zcash. You're familiar with them. Yeah. Um, there's all the other coins that, so what, that exist. So, but you know what? Uh-huh. This niche, there isn't any competition. Fair enough. And what's your uh, distribution for that? How are you going to get people to actually use it? So to, to use the coin, we, are, we have a suite of products that are made available through the site that we're talking about, the, that community, to use the coins in connection with buying and selling products in that, and also in making donations to charitable causes. Why wouldn't they use the U.S. dollar? One of the reasons would be the benefits that we will build into the coin that a portion of all of the currency that comes through will be going to a ministry kind of function. So one thing that's important to this particular audience is spreading the word. Mm -hmm. And so they actually, many of the businesses in the Christian space, measure their success in terms of souls saved, not in terms of dollars raised or something like that. And so there is an actual metric that a soul save, the cost to save a soul in terms of media and reach is actually fixed at an amount. And so for every transaction that comes through, a percentage goes to spreading the word and saving souls. So how will I say 100x my money here? The way that you would 100x your money is that when these coins launch, let's say that there's a billion dollars worth of coins, my understanding is that about a 10% is held back or used to give to the folks who are the exchange promoters and things like that to create a market similar to stocks. Mm-hmm. And so you have the opportunity to receive in exchange for your investment at a significant discount to market that the coin will be established at a significant quantity of the coins so that when the coin launches you'll 5x immediately you're pretty good roland <laughs> i'm <laughs> I mean, making honestly, it all I'm up, so I'm, it up I'm like shit you're pretty good <laughs> but honestly i wouldn't invest in it a couple of reasons first okay. of all the the consumer base is not tech savvy enough. Mm-hmm. In fact, the average American or the average global citizen is not tech savvy enough to actually use cryptocurrency to buy anything. Right. That technology doesn't is really hard. Right. So this is a cash. I mean, grab. all they need to do is have a wallet that accepts a bunch of different currencies and then put that with one of the exchanges, et cetera, et cetera. Right. No, it's, it's hard. Yeah, no, I agree. This it's, is a cash grab. I'd yeah. be like, look, man, let's be honest. This is a cash grab, and you're doing it off this community. Right. And if you believe you have serious inroads and you can do it. Great, but it's still a cash grab off a of a portion of the population. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've learned is when you're doing uh, things like cryptocurrencies and so forth, you want to have something that affects the entire world, mm-hmm. because a lot of the the actual uh, and and also not just a particular religious, even though Christianity is dominant in the in the, in the world, you just want something that has like Zcash, mm-hmm. for example, privacy, privacy. It's going to matter to every citizen, regardless of what your faith is. Mm-hmm. That's a bet I'd like to make. Okay. Uh, Bitcoin, same thing. Right. So for something like this, I wouldn't, because there's okay. too many other opportunities. Uh, but so other if, you, things- if you said that to me and I argued, well, so now here's the deal: there are 150 million Christians. I'm making all this stuff up, mm-hmm. still, right? There's 150 million Christians in the United States alone, and worldwide there are six billion. They can use Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. and not achieve any of these things that they want cause-wise to achieve, or they can use this coin, and they can. So I would argue that the market is smaller than global, but the market is the entire world 
of people who have faith in this particular religion, and they will definitely receive all of the same benefits that you said. There's privacy, all of the things that make you want to invest in Zcash and Bitcoin should make you interested in this, and they get the additional benefit. Look, honestly, I think early investors might make money, but this is a cash grab, and it's a it, Here's another thing. Um, I love the, I love the cash grab, and I want to drill down into that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because most crash grabs fail. Mm-hmm. Um, they're basically dependent on the market. Mm-hmm. If the market's a bull market, everything's working. Cash grabs work, right. but you that's timing markets. I don't invest in that because okay. you can't you can't time that. Just ask people who bought Bitcoin in December. <laughs> you know, yeah. you just can't. All you have to do is watch when I do any of these things, and then bet against me. And you're <laughs> going to make billions of dollars. Actually, I would hang. You know, I would hang on to it. Uh, five years, <laughs> yeah. uh, you'll be very glad you did. Yeah. Um, another thing is, anytime a founder says to you. Like, look, the market for this is one trillion, and we're just gonna own thirty. You know, if we're worth one trillion because its market's worth one trillion, who in the world actually ends up capturing an entire market? Right, right. No one can. It sounds similar to another industry's pitch, which is, Kamal, I'm going to let you in on a ground floor opportunity of a multi-billion-dollar industry currently experiencing hypergrowth. That's the network marketing pitch. Oh, isn't it, yeah. isn't it funny? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. And now, please join my Amway downline, right? Or yeah, whatever. when people, you know, that kind of tells you also either they don't have respect for you as an investor, or they're fooling themselves. They think, oh, it's it's a one trillion dollar market, and so we're going to be worth at least half a trillion dollars because we're going to own half the market. Okay, so we've we've established you're not going to invest in my amazing idea that I created right here, which actually on Roland, business lunch. I'm, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Like right. you could actually, if you had the connections and the inroads, and yeah. this was like, you could actually probably make this work. What I what I what I love though about what you said is it helps people who are listening think about how can they vet these opportunities that are coming at them all the time that sound amazing. Like to me, that sounds kind of compelling, right? It's like, oh, this is a giant market and blah blah blah, right? You know, you've got this. Mark, they've got this subsection of the market that we kind of own. There are, you know, there are 32 million people or whatever, you know, that are on that thing, on that site. So um, you you want to follow the smart money. Yes. Right? That is, and, and that and betting on people, are those your kind of your two big, big, big things? Very much so. And you know, like another thing is I pass on good projects every day because mm-hmm. I don't want to bet on good, I want to bet on great. Really you know, good. and like look, I, I do the same with business opportunity, right? Yeah, because it's like this. Also, this is you need discipline as an investor mm-hmm. and running a fund. Let's say you have a ten million dollar fund. Every hundred thousand you put somewhere is one hundred thousand dollars less you could put somewhere. Right. I learned this lesson the hard way mm-hmm. uh, a month before Uber launched. Uh, Travis, the founder, was at my apartment for dinner, mm-hmm. and it was a few friends of mine, and like, you know. And a couple of guys at that table, they raised their first round angelist, I think at a six or eight million dollar valuation. I I, forget, I don't know what their valuation right. is now, but it's not that. It's right. it may be slightly more than that. Yeah, right? like a hundred billion or whatever it is, right? And so a couple of guys at that table put in twenty five K a piece. And I didn't because I was building my company at the time and I was like there was another guy at the table who didn't, he was building his company at the time, we were putting our money in our own company. Right. And from that twenty five K for those guys at the table have actually made them and their kids and their grandkids wealthy. Right. So I look at it this way, every tw- even down to 25K, every 25K I invest mm-hmm. is a 25K less for a future Uber. Mm. So it doesn't mean that I will find a future Uber, but I like, I want things that I just like, this is, this has, this is a founder I would bet on. Okay. There was an opportunity I was offered early this year. It was a crypto opportunity. It was with someone, it was like, it was a cash grab. I got approached by a group of investors. These okay. are guys I respect. So you, you invested in a cash grab? No. Ah, okay. They actually, they were like, were look. presented the opportunity. Right? And I was like, look, I know this guy. Uh, let me tell you, I'm once on the record, but mm-hmm. like, I know this guy. Yeah. And this is a cash grab. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, no, but look at his team. I'm like, that guy is some, his team was like all like these these people like who weren't even developers and it was going to be a hardcore uh, tech project. Mm-hmm. That's also a big flag. Mm-hmm. Right? And they're like, yeah, but we're getting such a discount, whatever. I'm like, look. So I came home and I asked myself, if I invest in this and it makes money, how would I feel? Okay. Mm-hmm. But if I invest in this and I lost money, 
how would I feel? Now, if I bet on a founder or a team or a mission I believe in, I will never regret backing it because mm. that's the kind of stuff you want to back. And, right. But if I lost money on this, I'd be pissed at myself because I knew what this person's about. Right, okay. Fair right? Enough. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. my thing was, if I'm going to be pissed at myself, I lose money here, don't invest. Okay. So it was that simple. Mm. And you know what? And the market tanked and they're, they're, those guys are like crying about how they lost all their money. And I was <laughs> like, look, ultimately you bet on people. You can't time markets. Right. You just back good people. Like right. people, and I don't mean just like good human beings. You want good human beings, but people who can execute, who have executed, who care about something, who care, who are like driven, you know? Like now if, for your example, if you were a driven Christian who's built tech stuff mm -hmm. and really passionate about this, you know, I'd, I'd take a closer look at mm -hmm. this because mm -hmm. it would have more of a chance. Sure, okay. Versus a cash grab. Right. I like it. That's, that's really a helpful distinction, I think, for folks, right? So you wrote your Love Yourself Like Your Life Dependent on a book, which you're updating right now. Correct. To the, to the extended, is it expanded? Yeah. yeah. Okay, version. And had success with that. And it really helped you. This was kind of probably cathartic to express it in, in, and document it in that thing that you're, that, you know, that you share with everybody in, in the form of the book. Then you go back kind of into the world that caused you to, to yeah. have the challenges that you had. Any post-traumatic stress experience of that as you went back into that world after kind of going through all that like now that you're 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 you're, you're not you're not like crazy building a company bootstrap right or betting the farm or anything now correct but you are back a bit in that that world does is, does that create any well i learned one important lesson hmm. don't bet don't bet the farm on a on what you're building you know like you know like you know one of the hardest lessons to learn uh-huh my uh and my father did this and I watched it, and um, and and I'm hoping that that I that I can keep this lesson is when people he came from nothing he was a son of a preacher in uh, Covington Virginia mountain town paper mill town five thousand wow. people uh, no money less than broke and put himself through school became an attorney started investing and and he bet the farm when he had a very, very small farm. But as an investor, entrepreneur, he then leveraged the farm by betting it, and now he bet the new bigger farm. And then he bet the new bigger farm. And then he bet the new bigger farm. And then he lost the farm. I'm seeing where that's going, yeah. Right? And um, it, it's kind of interesting that, uh, that I think a lot of folks forget that they aren't the version of themselves as an investor that they were when they had to bet the farm because the farm was so small. And, um, and then as they get that, it's like, well, that worked before and it worked before right. and it worked before right. and, th and they forget to kind of split things up. So is, is that, does that factor into your learnings from that well, experience at all? I'm also very stubborn. I kind of like going all in on things, <laughs> you know, there is that, you mm. know, I actually earlier today, I, I met up with my co-founder from that company. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. yeah, and he is a legend in Silicon Valley. Mm. He, this guy, wrote the very first browser before Did browser really? exists. You know wow. that level of talent. Right. You know that's what I consider genius level because before something exists and you create something new. Yes. You know that's you know out of thin air. Yes. Those are those are geniuses. Yeah. Right. He's a genius developer, and we were actually like talking about love yourself, and I said, look, man, look what came out of that from that experience was, what I did was. I wrote what actually I did to get out of it and I shared it with the world. Mm -hmm. And that's so important. You share with the world. Right. A company, anything is sharing with the world. Right. And it changed my life. Mm -hmm. I could have kept it myself. Yes. Right? That's the thing. I could have kept it to myself. And but that book, putting that book, I changed my life because I was broke. I was living off credit cards. And that little book started to pay my rent. Right. And it's because of that book I could build my fund because I didn't have to go get a job. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm -hmm. otherwise I would have gone and become VP of something, some right. company, right? Like, right. like, like, like you've not been as happy as you You're are right. right now. And it's purely because I shared to the, with the world. You know, and that's what we do also as entrepreneurs, as business people. We're, if we care about what we're doing, we're sharing with the world, and that's where magic happens. Absolutely. So, so did you, when you got into the fund, have any kind of? Uh, butterflies in your stomach from the first experience oh yeah yeah back. of course because like i had actually some at the end some people invested money including family i lost their money mm -hmm. and i went to each one of them looked them in the eyes and that's hard mm -hmm. i say i'm sorry mm -hmm. you know i worked my ass off and but i lost your money right. you know that's 
And I was terrified of losing money, people's money. I could have built a 10x size fund. Mm-hmm. I built a tiny fund because I, w- I was scared <laughs> of losing people's money. Okay, you right, know? right, right. And, but now, like, I've, you know, sometimes it's not bad to do a stepping stone to mm-hmm. just, like, prove to yourself you can do it. And now yeah. I'm really prove to myself, and I have this new level of confidence. Okay. Now I'm building a larger fund. That's kind of smart. So you tipped, you you dipped your toe back in the waters and worked with hard. A small commitment and worked hard and worked super super hard. Yeah, and and removed yourself from the things that were causing you all the stress before because you knew that you had identified them and you'd taken the time to document it as you shared it with the world in your story. So you knew kind of what to avoid as well, right? Mm-hmm. What were the things you avoid? Uh, oh my God! One thing. Mm-hmm. Well, two things. One is negative people. Okay. You know, I was in this uh, private thing with Elon Musk years ago. Uh, it was maybe about twenty of us mm-hmm. at a small wine bar. A friend of mine's close friends with him, and he said we were all like CEOs at the time. He's like, we're just going to get together, hang out with him, and just ask him questions. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing this, and one guy asked him, "What is this? You built all these companies. What is the single biggest piece of advice you give to CEO?" And so, I mean, I naturally yeah. like lean in. You know, <laughs> this is the man, right? Uh-huh. And he says, "Fire negative people." He said, "You can't get rid of them far fast enough." Interesting. He said, "You know, because sometimes you may think this person's too valuable. No one's valuable, valuable enough because they poison it's things. It's a poison. I think that's exactly the right? word that comes to mind. And like, oh my God! And I learned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. And also, the other other thing is. I look at people's ethics. You know, one of the mistake I made was I, and you know, I brought on partners whose ethics were questionable. Mm. And you guess what? You know, the story of <laughs> turned out <laughs> the story of the monk with the, who gives a scorpion a ride. Yeah. And the scorpion stings him. He's like, "Why did you sting me? We're both going to drown." Well, I'm a scorpion. Right. Scorpions it's do what nature. scorpions do. Right. Yes. So like, you can't it's, rather get angry. You just like it's like one thing I tell people like, just because that person screwed over five people in the past. Don't think you're a special snowflake and they'll, they won't screw you over, you know? Like. You know what? I, I tell uh, my wife and I talk about this a whole lot is, is that if you see someone treating other people mm. in a way that is not right, your turn will come. Yeah. Your turn will come. And you know, especially in business, I think people evolve. They may become better human beings with their family, with their friends, but in business brings out every single insecurity you've ever had. Yes. Money, power, all this, everything you got to deal with. Mm-hmm. So that's where the least, where you're going to grow, grow the, like you're going to become a better human being the slowest. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. And money and and fame, I think, are the two things that make people craziest. Yeah. And, and as, yeah. as an attorney for several years, the things that I saw people fight, they'd, they'd come into the office and it'd be mother, daughter, father, son, best friend since second grade. And they'd come in and everything was wonderful. And then they'd come back and it'd be five years later and somebody wanted to sue somebody because of money or fame. And fa- a form of fame is credit, Right. Yeah. So it, it's really interesting to watch that dynamic. So those are that's a pretty great takeaway from uh, from a guy that's been fairly successful, right? This Musk guy. He might make something. Yeah, of he might know a thing someday. or two. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty uh, cool. I never forgot that, and I wish I'd listened to him back then. Hmm. You know, sometimes we learn. Le- so ethics, and and negativity. negativity. Get rid of neg- negative people. Yeah. Never worth it. Uh, especially if you're the leader. You know, like you are the captain of the ship, mm. and if there are rats on the ship, you're responsible. You got to mm. get rid of them. You know? That's that's a pretty good set of filters to use. So now you you've also then after you did the first fund, mm-hmm. you took a book that you had written, or was it was it notes that you had written while you were on the Camino? It was like uh, I think I'd written like eight or nine drafts of a novel about yeah. being in the Camino, and you decided to really go all in on the craft of writing. Correct. How how was that journey? Uh, one of the hardest things I've ever done. Hmm. I had to basically become a monk and just write something because the craft in anything you do matters because it serves the, the piece. Mm-hmm. The story may be good, but if you don't do the craft properly, you don't serve the story, then you don't serve the reader. Hmm. So you know, I, I, uh, I got an agent, we sold it to one of the biggest publishers in the world, mm-hmm. and then I just had to deliver. Right. You know, So you I, sold it first. You had... Yeah. Like a query letter or a proposal or something yeah. that you yeah and I, and I had a draft written that okay. I sold it to, and here's a very interesting lesson I learned. Mm. I sold him a draft that was hundred ten thousand words, mm-hmm. and so the publisher came back to me and he said uh, the editor came back to me and said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. I want you to cut out forty percent of the book and get rid of two thirds of characters. Go. 
And I remember, I you're lost. like, but Dostoevsky has all these characters, and he did okay. <laughs> I'll translate in Russian. Right. You know, so like, I walked around for two days in a stupor, thinking, how the hell am I going to do this? And I was like, I'm just going to give them their advance pack. Excuse my language, but right. it. it's not right. worth it. Right, right. I'll right. just, I'll just go build a venture fund. This yeah. is way too it. And then I think I was walking somewhere. I saw a billboard, and I don't know what it said, but I realized, wait a minute. It does not have to be the best book ever written. Mm -hmm. It just has to be the best book I can write right now. Hmm. Interesting. And liberating, I think. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, well, the best book I can write right now. Well, that I can do. Right. That's in my power. Right. So I literally went back and I replied back, said, okay. Mm -hmm. And then I sat and blocked myself for months and figured out how to do it. Hmm. Were you initially not happy with the with that suggestion or that requirement? I was terrified. I'm like, what do you have? Like, how do you it's even do that? Like, right. but not even this, my book It's like, how do you do that? Yeah. No, no. I mean, it's, it's my story, I should say. Right. So, so those, all those people in all those pages, that's part of the story, which obviously you felt was important enough to be there. Now, was it, is it a better book because you did it's that? It's a much better book. Yeah. If he was wise. Yeah. And we met for dinner, like after I'd, I'd uh, submitted it. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I told you that because I had faith in you that you could pull that off. That you would go there and figure out which characters belonged, which didn't, what to cut. And he said, you went above there. But it was because I realized I had permission to write this book. Because I was like walking around thinking, well, that book's great. That book's great. My book is going to be a bunch of shit. I was like, no, the best book I can write right now it's like the best it's in anything the best thing i can do right now right that's in my power right i can do that yeah that's and an it important. was liberating that's really an important distinction to come up with yeah so I now you've been uh worked crazy hard lost your way a bit wrote the book love yourself mm -hmm. back into the the world of venture funding mm -hmm. and then back into the world of writing mm -hmm. and those are two kind of interesting and different fields that require some different skill sets because Very one yeah. is this insightful self-exploring spiritual kind of path and the other is this kind of brutal world of investing and deciding who's going to live and die company-wise and stuff like that based on who gets the funds to make things happen and I'm not at all bitter that you didn't invest in my idea that I pitched you a few months ago <laughs> I mean, not at all no um, so how, how do you reconcile those two different kinds of personalities and skill sets to be a great writer and be a really good fund manager? I struggle with that. Yeah. Um, and what I do is um, I sometimes separate chunks of the day or separate days where I work on either. And Do you and have I, two personalities that you call on for those things? Well, writing, you basically have to go, you know, Hemingway says it's the loneliest art. You have mm -hmm. to go, go in. Mm -hmm. You have to go be a monk. You know, and either that, but a professional, like all the, writer, the great writers are professionals. They wrote every day. Mm -hmm. You know, you set up a time and you just knock it out. You're just, you know, punching in the clock, doing the work. Right. And some of those times you get gold out of it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. um, but with the venture stuff, you know what, it, ultimately what it is? It's a people business. Okay. Uh, one, I'm not investing in, in spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. In fact, when an investment sends me a spreadsheet, I don't even look at it because I want to know the per the team. I'm going to bet on the team. So is the is it that you're you're betting on the team in the venture funds and you're betting on the team which is the characters in your books? Is that a Maybe in the books I'm betting on myself on what yeah. I can create. Okay. I never thought of it that way before. It's like pure expression of me to the world. Right. Interesting. But you, it is it is sorry, but you had a great point. It is very different mindset, yeah. right? Because I don't write about entrepreneurship or, right. or whatever. And I do struggle with that, juggling those balls sometimes, honestly. Like, I, I could build a massive fund if I wanted to, right. but I would have to, that's all I would have to care about. Right. And I don't. Right. I like helping entrepreneurs, and I run a small, medium-sized fund. I get to help them. Exits happen. My LPs are happy. I get a nice chunk of change, and I get to write books. Right. It's also about life. What kind of life do I want? I think right. at one point I was caught in the, in the race, like, I wanted some big kind of exit. I never stopped to ask why. Mm. Like, what would that give me? Right. No kidding. Right. What my, would that give? You know, me? we just we exited a company recently, as you know. Yeah. And uh, my wife looked at me when uh, when the deal was signed, and she said, 
now we can finally have nice things. Now we can finally travel. <laughs> now we can finally, you know, it's like, it's like, well, we already have all those things. It's not going to change your life. Yeah. So don't sacrifice your life to have more things just to have more things, right? Yeah. So it's like what fulfills you? Yeah. Like both things fulfill me a different way. You but wouldn't be happy doing either one all the time. No, because I think if I was a full-time writer, I'd probably end up like, you know, you go crazy, <laughs> yeah. you know, because you got to go. Like a lot of really famous writers. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, I totally understand because you got to go deep every right. day in places most people spend their lives avoiding you know, to get to emotional truth. Right. And with the fund, um, I don't think it would fulfill me if that was my life because mm -hmm. then it would become more about finance. I would build a bigger fund and I would be managing people and all that. I just like being that helpful guy, right. walks in a room, and if I really like what you're doing and the right people involved, I'll help you out and here's a check. Right. Not you a bad a, gig. You have a new lady in your life. I uh, do. For some, a little bit of time now. And, and by in your life at this point, I mean that you guys have moved in together recently. Uh-huh. And um, how does, I know we talked about like a lot of the things that, uh, I, I won't, don't worry, I won't throw you into the bus here if she's Go listening. for it. Uh, the, um, no, he only says great things. But um, but that's a, that's a new challenge and a new set of, circumstances to kind of figure out as you're blending lives together, especially being together all the time when you're in one place and in New York City, they're not as big a place as you might might be in other places. Um, how does your experience in VC investing and these, these spiritual explorations help you in your relationship? Oh, they have nothing to do with relationship. Relationship is... You know, they're, they're their own different subset, right? Like, especially to go deep with someone. See, I would argue that that your negotiations... Oh, you can never negotiate with a woman. Are oh. you kidding me? You lose <laughs> men. I, you know, I don't know why women don't rule the world. It's so much better strategy than you us. You know they do. That's that's <laughs> the big secret, is they do actually rule the world. I mean, like, you can never out-strategize a woman ever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they play a whole different level. Yeah, they're at a my, different my wife level. Has shared some of that with me of, of like, no, you don't understand. When they said this, this means this. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, you know, we're just guys like, dude, how's, yeah. you know, yeah. how's the football game? You know, what kind of car are you like? You know, that's we're pretty simple creatures. Uh, that's pretty funny. But so you you don't though think that uh, I mean obviously you are the sum of all those experiences that you've got and those skills Correct. that you've you've got through those things. But but you don't find yourself. Um, if you think about it, drawing on any of the VC stuff or the spiritual stuff as you come into the relationship, you're just kind of coming in, this is me, I'm the amalgam of all those things. Well, the spiritual stuff in the sense, I like, how can I be better here? Mm -hmm. That's what I work on. Right. Um, so that, that helps you. I mean, I, I, that is my you know, my MO in the relationship is how can I be better? Yeah, because that's the only thing we can control. Yeah. Can't control the other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's a very interesting lesson, by the way. Yes, it is. Right? Yes, it uh, is. And that's a very interesting lesson in life. What yeah. can be controlled? The only thing we can control is ourselves. Yes. And that's it. Yes. And you can influence other things. Yes. But um, one of the best things I ever took out of a book was Stephen Covey's circle of influence concept that there is a circle of concern and there is a circle of influence. And mm. if you are trying to influence things that are outside of your circle of influence, the things you can actually have an impact on, and you're trying to influence your circle of concern, it's a fool's errand, and you will only be disappointed and frustrated because you have no influence there by definition. But if you focus on things that you can actually influence, things in your circle of influence, then you will expand your circle of influence, yes. and it will ultimately subsume your circle of That's concern. That's brilliant. Right? It takes emotional discipline to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Because it's so get easy to, especially these days, to get caught up in everything around us that we have no control over. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, what uh, what's next for you? Um, I'm raising my next fund. I'm working on expanding Love Yourself, and then the next book, and um, advising a bunch of companies, and you know, probably adding something else to that mix. And uh, these are just focus on how can I make myself better. Yeah, you know that's the most important thing for me. So what what would you say before I tell people how to contact you, or before you tell people how to how they can get a hold of you? Um, what would you say the best advice you can give on making yourself better here as we as we close out? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, 
You know, literally, I think this is the one thing I've learned in life that makes the biggest difference uh, is like, remember that vow I wrote to myself? Mm. And when I said, you know, that's a sacred act when, mm-hmm. you're, when you commit to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think the best thing we can do for ourselves, right? Like, you know, we said, we also, I want to be healthy. I want to do this. Versus when you do a full on commitment to yourself, we say, look, this, I just made a sacred act. Mm. Like, life is going to be different. And mm-hmm. I, I'm going to hold myself accountable to my sacred act, right. whatever it is. Right. That makes all the difference. Like it's, a, it's like the power of commitment to oneself. Yes. And make it sacred. Yeah. And, and you pointed out a really good thing, too, because you said, I want to versus I will. Or I'll try versus I will. One's an aspiration, one's a commitment. Yeah. And right? when you commit, that's when when the like, you know, life just unfurls the sails. That's awesome. So for those who would like to get a hold of you and find out more about any of the stuff that we've talked about, because you have a wide range of interests and things you're doing, what are all the ways well, uh, let's do it in order for those people who might be interested in investing in the fund or in being uh, receiving an investment from the fund. What would the best place for those folks go uh, be to go to get you? You could just email me. Uh, my name is Kamal K A M A L at evolve e v o l v e dot v c as adventure capital. Nice, I like that. Okay, and then for those of us who would like to know more about ourselves and be better and get deeper and explore your literary works and such, what what would be the best way for those people? Be uh, to get a hold just of you? go to Amazon and mm-hmm. you can search for my name, Kamal Ravikant, and that's R A V I K A N T. Okay, and the books are Love Yourself, Love like your s- life depended upon it. Love yourself like your life depends on it. Live your truth and rebirth. Okay, and do we have a title for the one that's that you meant that you kind of leaked here might be coming out? Well, I'm that? expanding Love Yourself, okay. so it'll just be an expanded version of okay. it. You know, five years later, um, I think it's time to actually, with all the feedback and questions I've gotten, right, to make it bigger and more, even more practical than it is. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it was great. I appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Business Lunch with Roland Frazier. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by subscribing and leaving a review. And for more information, go to businesslunchpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. What if three days could change the course of your business in 2023? Get Scalable Live is where you'll gain great clarity on the next steps that will help you create the business, life, and wealth you deserve. Connect with business owners and entrepreneurs just like you. Hungry for advice, proven strategies, and necessary connections to grow a business. Literally, million-dollar conversations are happening in the hallways, in the bathrooms, across tables. Get Scalable Live at Fairmont Austin, November 2nd through 4th. Tickets are on sale now at GetScalableLive.com.